Hello and welcome to Football with Grant Wall. I started out that sentence as a way of honoring our friend Daryl Grove. For more than a decade, Daryl has been the host with Taylor Rockwell of The Total Soccer Show, which for me is the gold standard for soccer podcasts in the United States. Daryl is one of the kindest, most talented, and hardest working people I've met in sports media. And he has always had an infectious enthusiasm and curiosity about this sport we all love. Daryl and Taylor have made me laugh and made me cry and everything in between listening to their show over the years. And it has been my good fortune that I've gotten to know them personally as well. When I lost my job earlier this year and wanted to start my own podcast, Daryl and Taylor were the people I wanted to partner with, and Daryl and Taylor welcomed me and gave their time to this podcast on and off the air at a moment when they had a lot going on in their lives. For Daryl, that has meant dealing with a cancer diagnosis and spending a lot of time with his wife, Shannon, making trips from their home in Richmond, Virginia to Boston over the past couple years to participate in a clinical trial. This past weekend, Taylor informed us that Daryl had gone on hospice care at home after his doctors told him there was nothing more they could do to treat him. This is devastating for Daryl and his family and for Taylor and his family. And I just want to say how much I love you guys and hope Daryl is as pain-free as possible. And I am thinking about all of you right now. Daryl and Taylor have had a huge impact on the American soccer community. And that includes other emerging soccer media people. My interview guest on this episode is Adam Bells, who co-hosts the Scuffed Soccer Podcast. Adam tells a story about how he got started and how Daryl Grove was a big part of encouraging that start. There are so many positive things I can say about Daryl, and this is one more thing. Here's my interview with Adam Bells. Our guest now is Adam Bells. He's the co-host with Greg Velasquez of the terrific Scuffed podcast, which takes a very, very close look at the U.S. men's national team and young potential players for the U.S. men's national team. Adam, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Grant. I really enjoy your show, and uh, I like how granular it gets and how detailed it gets. And... I think for people who really who haven't listened to it, I know you've built an audience for it. For people who haven't listened to it, it's kind of what happens when you go down the rabbit hole of the U.S. men's national team in the in the best possible way. What is the best way to describe your show? Yeah, I'd say it's a very 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 niche podcast for people who are just obsessive about the men's national team. Um, yeah, that, that that's a good way. It's kind of lo-fi but uh, I like to think it's lo-fi, but also highbrow a little bit. So tell me the story. How did how did this show start and, and sort of develop over time? It started as a newsletter in 2017, uh, early, 2000, early 2017, before the failure at Cuba. Um, I was starting to watch a lot of Borussia Dortmund and watching some Schalke to see if Weston McKinney would get his debut there. I was getting really excited about the young generation of players coming up. And I, I found that a lot of the content that you can find about those guys back then, at least was on these sort of obscure chat boards, like RUS soccer on Reddit or 
or big soccer, which we discussed off air, sort of a esoteric place on the internet. And um, so I just started a newsletter and I think, you know, it started to get a little bit of momentum in large part, thanks to a guy named Daryl Grove, who a lot of people are talking about right now, the co-host of the Total Soccer Show. He was an early subscriber to the newsletter. He was very encouraging about it, which is a story that I think we've heard from a lot of people over the last couple of weeks about how encouraging and helpful he was to people sort of trying to get into this business. And, um, and then I, I pitched an idea of doing a show with him where we talked about uh, fullbacks for the U.S. men's national team, if that gives you an idea of the granularity <laughs> of the podcast. And he was, he was like, sure, let's do it. And we did it. And uh, I thought it was really fun. I thought it turned out well. So I thought, well, why don't I start a podcast? And I convinced a friend of mine from Des Moines, Greg Velasquez, who you mentioned up top, to do it with me uh, after, after a lot of convincing, he, he agreed to do it. And that's great because he is very smart and he is very good at analyzing soccer. He's much more of a technical sort of tactical thinker than I am. So I think it makes a good mix. I, I find it interesting. You're, you guys met in Des Moines. You're in, in, you're Chattanooga now. You're in North Georgia. He's still in Des Moines. The guys who founded the American Outlaws did were in Lincoln, Nebraska. Yeah. Um, I'm from Kansas City. Is the Midwest? Is there something going on here, <laughs> or is it, or is it just people are soccer fans throughout America? I think I think it's people are soccer fans throughout America. I don't know. Maybe Midwesterners just have a lot of hustle. I I don't know. <laughs> I I um. I don't have a theory on that. I do know, like, uh, from what I know of our of our audience, it's very, it's like basically tracks the population centers in the country. You know, it's just wherever there are people, that's where we have more listeners. Over time, sort of, how has your show developed as, you know, because shows change over time once you figure out what works and what doesn't and, and what kind of, what resonates with your audience? Yeah, I guess I'd mention two things. One, we have gradually moved away from the super, super granular looks at young prospects. Um, we, we did, we, a couple of years ago, we did three hour shows where we would talk about the, the U 20 player pool. Now that's not, I know that's not a great selling point for most of your audience, but there were there, people enjoyed that kind of stuff. Um, I don't think we're going to be doing a lot of that in the future. We're, we're, we're getting more, much more disciplined, you know, 45 minutes roughly per episode and much more focused on the senior men's national team, which is easier to do now because we have a lot of exciting players at the senior level, which we didn't, so much at 20 in 2017. Yeah. I mean, we're recording this on a champions league match day on Wednesday. Um, we've got a record 10 U S men's national team players in the champions league group stage. Five of them played on Tuesday. It could have been six if Weston McKenney had been healthier. Right. Um, and I'm, it, my sense is like, I get asked about this a lot is that, you know, even from people in Europe about like, how did this happen overnight? Like, and, and my response has typically been, actually it's, it's not overnight that it's something no. that if you're, if you've been following this, it's been developing for a while. And, and actually the failure to qualify for the 2018 world cup got so much attention that it kind of obscured what was happening in this realm for the next cycle. Is that your sense as well? Yeah, I think, I mean, one easy way to look at it is the U20 World Cups, the last couple cycles, the US has made the quarterfinals in both both the last U20 World Cups. And I would say the difference, so the, those were in 2017 and 2019. And I would say there was a big difference between the quarterfinal run in 2019 compared to the quarterfinal run in 2017. If you watch 
that final game where we lost in 2017, we were absolutely dominated by a, a young Venezuela side. And I mean, just barely hung on to even be in the game. And then we were, we're not, we're bumped in the quarterfinals this time in 2019, the more recent one, we beat France to get to the quarterfinals. And then we lost in a, what seemed to me a per- perfectly evenly matched contest against Ecuador. And we played a, a much more attractive kind of soccer players like Serginio Dest were on that team. Uh, Sebastian Soto, Chris Richards, um, Alex Mendez, Richie Ledesma, they, the Pax and Pomacall, there were a lot of nice things to watch in that tournament. It was, it was very different from 2017 where we were just sort of hanging on for dear life, you know? And I thought, I think that, that sort of progression where suddenly we have, a, we're able to field an 11 that can actually play with good soccer nations across the world, um, at least at the U20 level. The, to me, that showed that things were things were getting better. And then, sure enough, you know, over the last couple of years, couple of years since that, or the last year and a half, I guess, since that World Cup, Chris Richards has made his debut for Bayern Munich. Sergio Dest has been purchased by Barcelona. So it, it wasn't a complete surprise, but it's still, you know, you still kind of have to pinch yourself when you see Lionel Messi touching Sergio Dest on the head. <laughs> I mean, that's crazy, right? It is. It's pretty cool that just watching American players playing in Champions League and playing, not just, you know, being right. on the bench or anything. How are you viewing what we're seeing at this club level with big clubs now playing American players, young American players, and yet we haven't seen them play together on the U.S. men's national team for quite a while just because of the virus? Like, is this going to be something where you think they can flip a switch and suddenly have it together? Or is this going to take a little while uh, in time together to, to get things going ahead of qualifying? I think it's going to take a little while. Yeah. Uh, we've been talking about this on the podcast lately. Mexico had two friendlies in the last window and you got to see a team, you know, it, that team doesn't have the club pedigree that the U S men's national team has right now, strangely enough, but they are a team that plays together they are all on the same page. Tata Martino has them just humming and and moving as a unit, and everybody sort of knows their role. And they, it's it's kind of fun to watch Mexico right now because they're just they're just together. And you know, we didn't see anything resembling that in the first um, I don't know the first foray of Burhalter's tenure for various reasons and injury was was part of it. So yeah, I think it's going to be a little while before we before we sort that out. Where, what are your don't, thoughts on that? Don't Burhalter? you? Don't you think that? Of course I do. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. it's it's a situation where I think there's going to be some really high expectations from fans heading into even the, you know, if they can get these games in November squared away. And I think it's possible that there could be something really positive coming out of those games. I think it's also probably slightly more likely that we won't see a finished product, <laughs> you know, right. because these guys right. haven't been together in a while. Uh, and some yeah. not at all, you know, we, not at all. Do you arena is yet to get a cap and where does he fit on the field and all that? It's, yeah. And those are good, you know, good discussion points, you know, w- you know, where, where should he be? Where should Polisic be? Um, it's pretty exciting to think of them being on the field together, uh, you know, based on, on what they're doing. Um, I certainly hope that we see Christian Polisic being put in a position maybe different from where Frank Lampard has been putting him lately in terms of on the right, but put him on the left, Frank, come on. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a frustrating one. Um, and where are you on Greg Berhalter and, and, and sort of analyzing 
what pressure, additional pressure he may be under now or or what, you know, how he must be feeling maybe pretty good about like what's happening with his guys at club level and and how equipped he is to 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 get things going in qualifying and not, you know, and get off to a good start unlike the last cycle. Yeah, I mean, I like the way Berhalter talks about soccer. I think it's a huge, you know, a huge step forward in the way he converses and the way he talks to the press. He's he's much more open and much more detailed in what he says, which is great, you know, especially for for me as a podcaster, there's a lot more to deal with and talk about. Um, I do th- I, I do think he, you know, he has a lot to prove. We we did not look good in 2019 as a national team outside of a few moments. I, w- I would say the final game of the year when we beat Canada four to one to advance from Nations League, that was like that was a pretty good performance. But outside of that, I don't know that there was anything really to hang our hat on on the year. So I, I, I do think he has a lot to prove. I mean, we can get into the weeds on that if you want. I, I don't know. I don't know how much pressure he's under. Doesn't feel like he's under a lot of pressure, but I'm, I'm not a more pressure from fans than the actual federation, which I guess is probably emblematic of the history of U.S. soccer. <laughs> right. Right. But, um, yeah, but I'm not I mean, one, like, I'm not one of those, I'm not one of those guys that's like trash and Burhalter all the time. I like, right. I mean, I like his ideas. I like the way he talks about the game. I just think like, yeah, go ahead. I mean, from a media perspective, like you, I, I like the detail that he gets into. And one thing that I think was a similarity with Bruce Arena and Jurgen Klinsmann was neither one of those guys liked to go into detail uh, about tactics uh maybe for different reasons bruce just isn't much of a tactics guy (laughs) and 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 sort of actively likes to to say it's not about that and and klinsman just i don't think thought u.s media was like smart enough to like go into detail and didn't didn't want to do that And and there was sort of a disdain um but in in the end i think it was a similarity and so like the willingness of Burhalter to sit down with media like a, or even like, you know, like a Paul Tenorio at the athletic and, and really go into detail is, uh, is welcome. He has this sort of reputation, I guess, with sort of the anti MLS parts of the fan base that he goes too often with MLS guys. But I still think there are guys like a Jordan Morris, like a, like a legit, um, and even occasionally a Jossie Zardis, like if he's gonna, if he like, I wouldn't start him, but like, I don't think he should be like banished, you know, based you know from the program. I still think Josie Altador is probably your starting number nine right now, right? Yeah, I mean, Berhalter did come out and publicly acknowledge Altador's fitness um, issues. Like he hasn't he hasn't played a bunch of full nineties this year, and then he got injured again recently. So right. like, can Josie, can Josie is our best striker, but can he be counted on, uh, to be able to play? I think it was interesting that Berhalter, you know, made a point to talk about that. So I don't know. I mean, maybe Josie's artist is the starter right now as un, you know, as much as everybody hates that, uh, and he's not like sort of the, you know, he's not the idealistic striker for our national team, but he does a lot of really good work off the ball and he gets in good spots. He does it in MLS. He does it in, does it for the national team until I'm a big fan of Josh Sargent and I want him to 
be that, you know, heir apparent to Josie Altador or one of these other young guys, but Josh has not proven it yet. I don't think. One thing that you guys do, which I really enjoy, I think your listeners enjoy too, is your monthly U.S. men's national team top 40. And that must take a fair amount of time to, to, to see all the, you know, as many games as possible, to be on top of everything, and then to actually put the list together. Like, what goes into that? It is super hard and very humbling to look back on our past top 40s. <laughs> but, I mean, basically what we do is Greg and I have a spreadsheet and um, we each rank one through, we generally do like one through 70 of our top 70 players. And then I, Greg created some cotton picking formula that like figures it all out and then comes out with like a score for who's in the top 40. So that's what we do. It's, um, it's certainly not science, more art than <laughs> science, but, uh, but it's fun. And you're right. People do like listening to it and they're like trashing us for our bad takes. <laughs> What are sort maybe some of your uh, iconoclastic takes at this point? Uh, whether whether it's you or Greg in your in your recent top forty. Mm, what are our iconoclastic takes? I mean, I guess my iconoclasm has been not so much around the two, top forty. I've been critical of Gio Reyna for not being a great player off the ball, and. Um, I, I'm sort of softening my criticism on that because he he seems to be getting better every time he plays at at passing the ball it, in interesting ways or moving in interesting ways. Um, we 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 picked Reggie Cannon ahead of DeAndre Yedlin for some time, and we've gotten some quite a lot of pushback for that. We were big fans of Dwayne Holmes when he was not getting called up by Burhalter. Uh, that has softened somewhat too. Everything evolves, Grant. You know, everything changes every every month. I feel like. Does that answer the question? No, it is, and and, and that's and that's cool. In addition to your podcast, is there some place where people can see this on online? Well, we put the sometimes I put the spreadsheet up for our patrons on Patreon just mm -hmm. to give them something to of value. Um, we, you know, we used to do. It's interesting. We use we used to do this list on our U.S. Soccer on on the Reddit on the Reddit mm -hmm. page publicly, and it was like I would have a a bunch of people, as many people as wanted to, would vote on the player pool and then we would come up with like a you know I, I don't know if we called it a top 40 but like a top something list the problem was when it once that got big enough people would just go in and vandalize the spreadsheet and mm. it would get all screwed up so we had to stop doing that so that's why we kind of switched to a a two a committee of two instead of a committee of 50 you know and are there any names out there that sort of mainstream but not in the weeds u.s men's national team followers like any one or two particular players out there that they may not have heard of that you're really excited about i'm pretty excited about nico Joachini, the young striker in the french second division he's he's 20 years old he's younger than Sargent, younger than io akinola younger than daryl dk and um he he i'm not saying he's like gonna be the next you know, great striker, great American striker, or maybe the first great American striker, but, but he is, I think un, he is not getting enough buzz. He's a, he's a very good player. We'll see. You know, I, I say we'll see a lot more than I used to. Yeah. Nah, I, I hear you. Um, and how, like, what's your process like week to week to try and actually see some of these guys play? Mm, yeah. 
I have, I use Y Scout. Do you know what that is? Yeah. You yeah. should explain it though. Um, so it's this, it's this Italian company that cuts together clips of every involvement of basically every player at any level in, in global soccer. And you pay a monthly fee and you can, you have access to those clips. So you can watch, I can go in and watch like, so how did Mark McKenzie play last night for the Philadelphia union? If I didn't have a chance to watch the game, which I often don't, I can go through and watch all of his involvements, every duel, every aerial challenge, every pass, every time he gets beaten on the dribble. And, um, I do that a lot. That is invaluable. I, we signed up for it a couple of years ago and got grandfathered in it. It can be very expensive if you choose the wrong plan. Our, our plan is not expensive, but we figured out how to make it work. That's, that's how, that's how I stay on top of things. I mean, I do record games on, you know, you can watch stuff on ESPN plus on demand anytime. That's great. And I, I have Latin Fubo 15 bucks a month. Cannot say enough good things about it. They uh, they had like all the Champions League games yesterday, so that's how I do it. In terms of Wisecout, I don't subscribe to it. Like, if you're a fan out there and you're hardcore and and you want to go into this and, and get it, how much are we talking about cost wise? I I actually don't know what it costs now to sign up because they just got acquired by an American company and their fee structure changed and everything. But like the media uh, package that we pay for is ten euros a month. So okay. it's not too, it's not too bad. I don't know if that's even, I don't know if I, that's even available at this point. And, and right. I should say, you know, if you, if when I describe uh, watching every involvement by a center back, it sounds boring to you. You're right. It is kind of boring. So <laughs> I don't know that the average fan would really want to do that. You know, there's lots of lateral passes between center backs. Gotcha. Um, and if you don't mind me asking, I'm just, you know, I, I enjoy your podcast. I think you guys are, are good listens. You have a Patreon. Like, are you, how are you, are you able to, to make this? Is, is this a labor of love? Is it something that you are able to make into something of a job or, or where are you on that? It's a little bit up in the air. I mean, I have, it's been a labor of love, but I have been a newspaper reporter in Minneapolis for the past eight years. So that's, that was my full-time job. And um, that's how I got a paycheck. I am, I've left that job now to move to Georgia and, and try to do some stuff on my own. So I'm doing, trying to grow the soccer podcast revenue, trying to do some other stuff, uh, like a news show. Um, so we'll see, you know, I, my, my wife's giving me eight months to figure it out. And if I don't have real progress by the 4th of July, I'm going to go hat in hand down to the employment agency. I mean, look, I'm on unemployment in New York state right now myself. So, I mean, like it's, it's an interesting time. You and I've had a little talk offline about just sort of like the future of all of this and, yeah. and what is sustainable, um, potentially what, what are you, what are you hoping about? Like sort of the market for, cause it, like media in general, not just sports media, not just soccer media is, is going through uh, a difficult stretch right now. Yeah. I think about this all the time. I'm sure you do too. The, the, What's interesting, I think, is this direct-to-consumer possibility that is now coming about. You know, I mean, it's always kind of been there, but it seems to be accelerating. People leaving major publications and and just taking their audience with them on a Substack, like on a Substack basis or something. And Patreon, though it does cost money and they take a cut and there's the processing fees, it's a wonderful tool because if somebody really values what you're doing, they can support it. And I'm starting to provide more exclusive content to those patrons, you know, outside of the podcast, which I think is actually helping more people sign up. So I, I'm 
interested in exploring this sort of direct to consumer possibility and seeing how far it, it can go. It may not go far enough. I mean, that's the that's the reality, at least for me. But I mean, if someone like you with a million Twitter followers, psh, easy. It's it's something I'm looking into. I got uh, you know a few things I'm working on and, and feeling actually pretty optimistic about having a full time gig in the next couple of months. Um, cool. But you know, it's it's a challenge for everybody right now, especially like one thing I've decided is I need to be connected to subscriptions for my work as opposed to trying to be connected to something that is purely ad-based because Bingo. at that point you're incentivizing clicks and instead of quality and you're also dealing with an advertising market that has been taken over by Facebook and Google and has gotten even worse during the pandemic and so yeah. you know that doesn't mean that like a being tied to a subscription service means you need to charge a ton. And it doesn't mean no. that that subscription service couldn't be tied to advertising. You know, maybe you can, you know, do some of both. I've always thought personally that like the New York Times is, is the gold standard for how to make money on digital media and they have ads, you know, yeah. and, and I've, like, I love what the athletic is doing, um, especially in, in soccer. But like, I don't think they needed to go so far as to say, we're not gonna have any ads at all. I don't want a bunch of pop-up ads, right? you know, in, in really annoying ones, but I think it's possible to be tastefully done. But you're right though. I mean, the display ad, the d display ad hustle, the online display ad hustle is just a race to the bottom. It's, and it's the, you know, there's no, the financial incentive on those clicks is so, so, so slim. I mean, even as a podcast, getting advertisers like booking sponsors reading the ads and everything it's a lot of work for not much benefit i feel like or not not as much benefit as it should be but you get you can get like if you get like 10 people to give you five bucks a month to do what you're doing right. that's 50 bucks a month that's that's like that's real money and it and it matters so and we may be getting into the weeds right now for our listeners here so i apologize but like from a media yeah. perspective if like folks like your content if folks like my content, this is the type of stuff that we're trying to work through right now to figure out how to make it sustainable. And so like Substack is certainly uh, something I'm considering in terms of a, uh, a place where I could put my written work and, yeah. and, and potentially podcasts. And that's, uh, there's people out there who are media people who have such a big audience that they're making great money and they're basically on their own at this point. Which is really exciting. I mean, don't you think that's an exciting oh, yeah. prospect? Yeah. I mean, I think legacy, Not uh, one other thing is like le legacy media is, uh, there's a, it's doing a, a ton of good work. You know, I mean, daily newspapers, uh, big magazines are still doing a lot, a lot of really good work, but they have a lot of baggage too, you know? And, and it's nice to be able to step away from that and just like sort of confront the public as an individual and say, this is what I'm trying to do. I don't have to answer for the masthead here. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. And, and, and also I think soccer right now in America, even though it's growing is, is not a clicks driven. If you're looking for clicks, it's not except for world cups and, and summer tournaments. It's not something you should, it's not the NFL put it that way. Right. Not yet. And, and also like subscription stuff, I think rewards high quality and, and even sort of niche 
type stuff, which is, you know, like if you're doing U.S. men's national team, there's a lot of fans out there for it, but I guess it's still sort of niche. Yeah, pretty niche. Hopefully, you know, if, when we go to the semifinals of the World Cup in 2022, it'll be less niche. <laughs> How do you feel about this? Because Greg Berhalter was on uh, CBS yesterday, and he did something which I thought was interesting. He talked about making a deep run in 26, and part of me was like, well, why not 22, man? <laughs> Yeah. Did you hear that? He's talking like a man who has a lifetime appointment. <laughs> no, I don't know. I, uh, I'm i fine with talking about 2026. I did think it was a little odd, too. I, I saw Herc Gomez pointed that out on Twitter, and <laughs> I agree. It is kind of odd. But don't want to read too much into it, I guess. I, I don't. And... And I, you know, I think it's good that he's going on CBS and, and that CBS's Champions League coverage appears to actually want to cover the Americans, uh, mm-hmm. which they haven't always, or you know, the Champions League sides haven't, or broadcasters haven't always done. Um, there was also an interesting quote this week from Jesse Marsh on MLS Extra Time about Frank Lampard and how he Jesse thought that. Frank underestimated Christian Pulisic at first because he was American <laughs> and that it took him a while to um, to to respect him more. And I'm curious to see if Jesse walks it back at all, but that's clearly what he what he thinks. Yeah. Um, what do you think? I believe about it. That? Don't don't you believe it? I mean <sighs> maybe. I mean I'm like, not I, outraged. I, I'm not outraged about it. I think I'm not like super mad at Frank Lampard for allegedly thinking that. I just, I just find it easy to believe. It, it, I think what Jesse said falls into this happens to me sometimes. I've gotten myself in trouble on Twitter of saying things publicly that I believe that you probably shouldn't say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and so I, for that reason, I don't think Jesse will walk it back. We may have him on the podcast before long. We'll ask him about it, but. Um, it reminded me a little bit of when Bob Bradley, who obviously has had a big impact on Jesse Marsh when he was the Swansea manager, talked publicly about Americans not getting a totally fair shake in the Premier League. And hmm. I'm a little bit on t- of two sides about this, because on the one hand, I think there's some truth to it. And I do think there is some some anti-American soccer stuff going on over in England, at least in certain parts and, and not in every part uh, by any right. means. But then you have other people rightly pointing out that players and even coaches from a lot of other countries that are not like, you know, big soccer countries have gone to England. It's become a very cosmopolitan league, probably the most in the world and have been successful. And, and so I think that's, that, that's true as well. I try to look at it from the English perspective and there has never been a player like Christian Pulisic before. You know, he's the first of his kind, an American who actually is a high impact player for a big four club, big six club, I guess is what it is now in England. That's, that's a new thing. So for there to be some doubts, even from the manager, you know, Frank Lampard didn't sign uh, Christian Pulisic. It happened before he became the manager for, so for Lampard to say, oh, an, an American, you know, and, and, you know, and, and, you know, the English don't watch the Bundesliga that much, you know, it's too, it's too far away for them. So, so um, I guess I just totally believe that Lampard gave Marsh the impression that he didn't think Pulisic was going to be ready uh, despite the price tag, despite, despite the hype. It, 
it doesn't wouldn't surprise me if that was true at all. I want to ask you about Jesse Marsh. What do you think about his future? Because here's a guy who at some point in his career wants to coach the U.S. men's national team. You know, we, we know this. I think he said it publicly. Um, and yet he's on a path in Europe that basically no other American has been on. Now we had Pellegrino Matarazzo on the, on the podcast as well recently. Um, who's at Stuttgart and is doing pretty well to start the, yeah. the Bundesliga season there. But like, what's the path that you would like to see Jesse Marsh take? Oh man. Um, I mean, I would like to see him coach the men's national team, but I also want to see him be as successful as possible. So it, there does, there is kind of a Venn diagram there where the overlap is kind of small. Um, if he, you know, if he goes to a big five league next season or, or maybe even, you know, next year in the next calendar year, then, you know, he's on a great trajectory. It's does, it wouldn't make much sense for him to come and like coach the men's national team all of a sudden those national, these national teams. I mean, I know you know this, but these national team jobs are such a weird job. You, right. you, you have, you rarely have the players, you rarely play games. And um, so I, I feel like maybe it's something that we should hope for on, on after Marsh has done whatever he can do in Europe. Um, so not, don't rush him back over here. Uh, maybe that's 2024. I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard because, and part of me thinks that hosting the world cup in 26 plays a role in this too. Like there's going to be a, a lot of coaches, not just American coaches, but coaches of global renown who want to coach the U S national team in a world cup that the U S hosts. Mm-hmm. Um, you think that's and- true? I think so. Um, I I think it's slightly different from if 26 was in some other country. Um, and yet I also think the gap between top club coaches and national team coaches is bigger than it's ever been in terms of how national team coaches are, even of big countries, are viewed by other, especially club coaches. Like... It hit me, and I worked with Gus Hiddink for Fox during the 2018 World Cup. Loved him, much funnier than I expected. Obviously, great background. He's coaching Curacao now, which is kind of random. Um, and he like basically had very little respect for Roberto Martinez. Mm. And even as Roberto was leading Belgium past Brazil in the quarterfinals, you know, yeah. and and. And, and Gus is a guy who's coached a lot of national teams over the years, but he's also coached at the at the highest club levels too. And it, it just was interesting to me, like the sort of viewpoint, not just from him, but I, I get this from other club coaches too, that coaching a national team is a little bit of like taking a break hmm. at, yeah. at this point. Um, and obviously there's some exceptions, like if you're the England coach, Gareth Southgate, you get paid crazy, crazy money and and you have a fair amount of pressure on you uh, if you're Chiche with Brazil. But like, you know, Roberto can like do a side gig, like doing great Champions League studio work for CBS. Right. Like it, it's, right. it's just interesting to me. And my guess is, my sense is on the one hand, I think Jesse Marsh, now that he's on this path in Europe, wants to see how far he can take it. And if he could coach Leipzig in Champions League or go even higher than that, I mean, get a, like a, 
a really good Bundesliga job. Like, I kind of want him to do that instead of taking the U.S. men's national team job. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I mean, there's a ton of, you know, there's a huge world of coaches out there. I, well, maybe Bielsa will want to break after, after these grueling years at Leeds United. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and there's certain guys that, that I think like work well with the sort of the U S style. I, I, I or, like when the U S has played best in world cups, I think that would fit potentially well with Marcelo Bielsa or Diego Simeone. Um, I don't think Pep Guardiola would enjoy coaching the United States, to be honest. No, now, maybe that maybe no. I'm harshing on U.S. players. Yeah, I think that would that wouldn't be the best fit. But maybe, yeah, maybe even Tata, Tata Martino in the next cycle. You know, if he, I love. I mean, I love what I see from how Mexico plays, and you know, we all know how well he did with Atlanta United and previous clubs before that. Yeah, no, I mean, like it, it's just fun to think about. There's a lot. I mean, there is a lot to get excited about in the. I think even now in the short to medium term with the U.S. men's national team, but also with the World Cup coming to the U.S. and with a World Cup coming in 22 that you obviously want to see the U.S. playing in. And, and I think I think U.S. fans are like, if that happens and, and you know, knock on wood, it should. Um, I think U.S. fans are going to be so ready to just be part of a World Cup again. Do I do I cause people to freak out right now thinking I'm jinxing them just by talking about this? No, I mean, that'll, the world, I can't wait for World Cup qualifiers to start. It's going to be, uh, yeah, finally some, finally some meaningful games that matter and we'll get to see, we'll get to see these young guys play together. Um, I suspect that the nation will, there will be an uptick in interest the next time, you know, as this next cycle gets draws to a close. I sure hope so. Yeah, me too. Let's wrap it up here. I want to make sure that I direct people to where you are. What what's what are your social media handles? It's we're on Twitter. That's where most of the action happens at Scuffed Pod, S C U F F E D P O D. And um, you know, if you search Scuffed Soccer Podcast, you'll find it on on the internet. And our Patreon is patreon.com backslash scuffed. And we, awesome. I do put stuff on there that I don't put on anywhere else. Adam Bells is the co-host with Greg Velasquez of the Scuffed Podcast, which is absolutely terrific. And you should check out. It takes a close look at the U.S. men's national team. Adam, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Grant. Take care. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. If you like the podcast, you could do me a huge favor and hit that subscribe button and provide a rating and a review. I can't tell you how much that helps. I'd like to thank Adam Bells as well as producer Chris Whittingham. I'm back soon with another interview of someone from the soccer world. Be safe, everyone. See you next time. Mm-hmm.